Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. You've got the home of the truth. Back to The Baldface Truth with John Kanzano on 750 The Game. My go-to for Mariners coverage is Ryan Divish of the Seattle Times. He's the guy. You should be reading Ryan Divish. You should be following Ryan Divish. And now you're going to hear from Ryan Divish, who's joining us. Uh, set the scene for us. Where are you right now, Ryan? I'm at Minime Park, uh, an empty Minime Park. We're working uh, media day. We had a media availability with Scott Service today. Uh, but it's pretty empty and pretty quiet, much different than it was uh about 24 hours ago, when Mariners, when about 47,000 Astros fans were celebrating a walk-off victory, so quiet and it's air-conditioned, which is good because it's a two-level gold bond day here in uh, in Houston. For those that know what that means, <laughs> Ryan Divis, Seattle Times, joining us. Uh, Seth, like yesterday, as it was unfolding in the ninth inning, you know, it obviously these are the Astros; they're playing at home. Did you see it coming? Did you did you were you kind of watching it unfold going uh-oh uh-oh or was it a shock? No, I mean I could kind of see it coming um in the sense that I think the Mariners have won 6 games in the last 4 years here, six or 7. So, um you know, it's they've had struggles here. They they have difficulties putting this team away. The Astros are really good. They're really good at home. This place gets loud. I could see it the moment, um, the moment Paul Seawald hit the number nine hitter it was a three-two pitch. So he's either walking him or hitting him because it wasn't close. The moment that that guy got on base in that situation, I thought there's trouble ahead, and it was kind of like um, you look at, you know, that that brought Jeremy Pena to the plate, or like you no, know, and then Seawald came back and struck out Altuve. I thought, okay, maybe there's a chance. You know, you've got you've got two outs now, but then Jeremy. You know, Jeremy Payne is batting, and you're thinking, okay, all you have to do is get him out, but it's hard to do that. And once Jordan Alvarez came up, once Payne singled and Jordan Alvarez came up, I was like, yeah, they're, they're probably going to lose this game somehow. Because I figured either Alvarez would tie it, and then go to extra innings, they'd lose there, or they were going to lose it right then and there. And then when Scott Service went to Robbie Ray uh, out of the bullpen, I looked at uh, Larry Stone and Adam Jude, and I just said, this can only end badly. And I think Adam was like, you know, either this is going to be the genius move or he's going to be an idiot. That's the way it'll be perceived. Because if it works, it's a genius move. And if not, everybody's going to go insane. Scott, and it did not work. The, the fans are mad at service and, and, and questioning him. Is he kicking himself? Is, does he lose sleep over that? Or, you know, how did he seem to respond after the game and again today? Uh, you know, after that was the bad part. Like after the game, I couldn't even. I was rewriting. I think I had to rewrite 800 words in about seven minutes. Um, you know, I was rewriting, so I never really got to get down there to the post game on the podium, especially with the losing manager. They go fast. Yeah. You know, so I would have probably pressed the situation a little bit more. But you know, there's a lot of other writers in there that that aren't haven't been in that situation or have the relationship with him that I do, or I you know he knows I'm going to do that. Uh, today he knew what was coming. 
Um, he was fine with it. He, again, like, and I hate the word trust the process because I swear yeah. to God, we just hear that nothing. But they have a way of they do things and make their bullpen decisions. And it's all based on a lot of meetings, scouting, analytics, all these different things, you know, proprietary information, of, you know, beyond what we find on baseball reference. And he trusts it because that's what they've done the last two years. And their bullpen has been outstanding the last two years. So he believes in the metrics and all the stuff that they look at to spit out the numbers that says they're going to have success. Those numbers don't bring in the human element. And the human element is that Robbie Ray has been terrible against the Astros, specifically in this place. And Jordan Alvarez is really good against anybody. So maybe, you know, the numbers, even if the numbers say it's great, the logic there or the narrative or anything else you want to look at, it says maybe not so great. We're talking to Ryan Divish, Seattle Times. Um, you know, I, I think sometimes teams will, uh, very resilient teams, will find a way to come back. What did you hear today from the Mariners that makes you believe that they are locked in and, and can put game one behind them? Because it is only one game. Yeah, it's true, and it's crazy to think about it. But, yeah, I, I mean, like last night even, they were they were pretty – pretty they were pretty resolute and that they bounced back and you know they have been resilient all year and it started last year you you'd write this team off and then they'd find ways to win and you think okay this is the loss that's going to crater them and then they'd win the next day somehow so i mean they have that to fall back on but they've never done this in the playoffs they've never been to the playoffs and this is crushing i mean it's funny like you look at the the the, the perception you know coming into this series if they go one and one here in Houston and go back to Seattle, you know, having stolen a game at home in Houston, they're thinking, okay, great. Even if they win tomorrow with Luis Castillo on the mound, they can't help but feel like they, they let one get away because they scored six runs off of Justin Verlander, and nobody does that other than them once or this year. And so it's like the whole perception around it changed. And I, I'm sure even though they say they can want flush it and move forward, like the lingering feeling of watching that unfold, I mean, it's always going to be there in the back of their mind. That's one of the reasons why they haven't won here very much is because Houston does that to them all the time. And I don't know if it's a complex, but until they kind of break through, you know, I don't know that it's going to change. So I, I think, you know, these guys, Ty France, the first baseman, had a funny line a while back. He's like, nobody makes fun of us more than us. And they, they really do kind of have a, a loose mentality about how they go about it. So we'll see. We'll, we'll, it's really going to, like, all that adversity stuff that they preach and everything and how they bounce back and how they flush it, we're going to see tomorrow. Because if they go down, you know, they have their best pitcher going tomorrow, and if they lose that game and go down 2-0, you know, going back and trying to win three games against the Astros, who won 106 games this year, I just don't see that happening. Yeah, we always talk about experience uh, being an ally in a situation like this, and and I, I look at this team and I go, okay, they, you know, this is a franchise that had not been in the playoffs in 20-plus years. Where do they look in the locker room for that settling presence? Who, are, who do they turn to? I really don't know. I mean, the one guy that's got the most postseason experience on the team is Diego Castillo. And, I mean, like he's just kind of a reliever and doesn't speak English really well, you know. <laughs> I, they just got to look from within. I mean, like, you know, bunker. I guess they would have to just bunker in and believe. Because they don't have that experience. I mean, they have minimal postseason experience. And some of the guys that do have postseason experience, it came in 2020 with no fans. So that's not really the postseason. So, I mean, like, you know, and sometimes maybe the naivete of it all. Like, yeah, you know, you got here, you don't have experience. So if you don't know what it means to lose all this, then I guess you just play and, and think otherwise. But 
I'll be very curious to see how they kind of do it. Like I said, it was, you know, you're, I mean, John, you've been there, like the way that game changed. And what's crazy is though, they did the same thing to the Toronto Blue Jays three days before, yeah. you know, they were, they were down eight one and came back at one. And so I, I don't, you know, I, I think maybe that there's a bad understanding. Hey, you know, we pulled off a game we should have lost and now we gave away, we should have won game away. We should have won. We're even, let's go play again. But this is the Astros, and the Astros, you know, I wouldn't say they're living rent-free in the Mariners' heads, but they've occupied some space every once in a while. <laughs> I love that. Uh, Divish, I want to ask you because, you know, you've been on – how long have you been on this beat? How long have you been – how many Mariners' seasons have you covered? Uh, I started helping out – or I got hired by the News Tribune in 2006, covered some games, but 2007 I really started helping cover the Mariners quite a bit. It's, it's been a while that you've been on this, yeah. and, and you know, I think some people who cover the Blazers could probably relate to this and other things, but not being part of the postseason, covering what is a grind, um, you know, I, I got to know from your experience, like, what it was like to see the Mariners get to the postseason, see them win the wild card series the way they did, because you wrote a lot of game stories on probably, like, a Wednesday afternoon or an evening that maybe there wasn't a ton of interest in this team, but now... Like everybody's crazy for the Mariners in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, it's it's really different, um, you know. And like, and I know you know this, but like your biggest fear in some of these games is just justify, you know, doing the moment justice yeah. and writing about, you know, writing about a moment that's important and offering up enough of a, you know, enough of a. I don't even know how to do it. Just like trying to, you're trying to paint the picture and provide everything that people don't get to see, you know, in the background. Like I, I've always, I think I've said it before, but I had an editor who says, you, you don't write game stories for the people who didn't watch. You write it for who did. You're giving them the why, the how, the backstory on everything that they've seen and what it means overall to the team. You're there to provide the perspective, not just the score. And so like, how do you encompass 21 years into one story like when Cal Raleigh hit that walk-off homer and granted like you know how the sausage is made is I've been thinking about that lead for a few days on some level um just because you're trying to encapsulate 21 years of failure and frustration and you know and then also the idea that the Yankees could have or the Mariners could have clinched mid-game with a loss um by the Orioles so like you have all this stuff kind of in your mind working. And then even then, like how Raleigh hits a walk-off homer. So then you're like, oh, how do I describe this? How do I do this? How do I do that? You know, everything you write now, everything you write in these days, are, it's just, you know, there are some of the biggest stories you're going to write. or It's certainly going to be the most read stories you've ever written. And so you just try, like for me, I guess, is spell everybody's name right, get the score right, and don't <laughs> screw it up too much. But, like, no, and you have to have fun with it. I think for me, I, I'm very visual in how I write, and I'm also very – um, cognizant of the emotion of the moment. Yeah. And, and I think for me also is like, you know, as much as I hate Twitter and all this stuff, like I do have a grasp of how Mariners fans think. Now, granted, a lot of it on Twitter is the lunatic fringe, you know, a small, small, like microcosm of it all. But, you know, I have friends that are Mariners. I, I was, people always sit there and say, well, how can you not be a fan? Well, I'm not. I mean, it just, you know, if I was a fan of this team and trying to write about it, it probably killed me a long time ago. <laughs> but I do have fr friends that work. I have friends that work in that organization, you know, that aren't in the baseball side, that care deeply. I have friends, you know, I've lived in the Pacific Northwest since 2006. I've been in Tacoma. I got good friends out there that live and die with this team. So I understand what they're going through. And so, like, that's what I try and 
make sure I, I understand the emotion of is what these people are thinking and what, you know, how they are perceiving this, this moment. And that's what I've tried to, to write. And I mean, like, you're also just trying to provide the information. Like, what, what would people want to know about this team? I know that when, like, the Blazers were really struggling, I had readers who said, you must love it. You love the drama. And I'd be like, no, I, I would love to be covering the Spurs and, and, you know, have everybody accept, be excited. And you got Tim Duncan as an interview. And, you know, give us an idea, too, of kind of, you know, the low points as a Mariners beat reporter compared to now. Um, like, you, like, even though, you know, we're not fans, I feel like I always want, the teams to do well because there's more interest when they're doing well yeah everybody wants to be written or read you know like if you're right you want to be read the one thing is is like either be really bad or really good and don't be in the middle like don't be lukewarm because then you're irrelevant you know and i've spent a lot of summers where nobody's reading and i get the tweets hey it's football season who cares you know um but yeah that, i guess that's for me is like how i do it is like just kind of think of you know just providing that information and, and you want that. Yeah. You want to be read. So if the team does well, we're going to get read. You know, I, I helped cover the Seahawks when they were good and I knew what that was like. And I think the one thing about baseball is that because it's every day and there's a result every day, you're writing something new every day. That's important. People grasp onto that. They come to you knowing that you're going to be there every day to have stuff. And then, Honestly, like, so in 2008, the very first year where I traveled and went to spring training and stuff, they lost 101 games, and it was the biggest collection of jerks and malcontents I've ever been around. And I thought to myself, I'm not going to make it through this season. What have I gotten myself into? And my sports editor, because when I was at the News Tribune, when I first got there, one of our assistant sports editors, Paul Miller, told me, he was like, you're going to be our future Mariners writer. And he told Eric Williams that he was going to be our future Seahawks writer and Eric's like I want to cover the Sonics I said I think I want to cover you dub and they're like no this is what's going to happen and they realized why it was good I love the access Major League Baseball has more access than you can possibly imagine you know you, you worked with Adam Jude Adam Jude got the Mariners to let him stand in the clubhouse at T-Mobile Park watch the clubbies get the champagne everything ready for the celebration and be in there and do a whole story a tiktok of what these guys did and how their night went and and all this stuff i mean you know you know chip kelly would never let you do that you know dan lanning's not gonna let you stand in one of his meetings like they let us do more stuff they they the players understand they talk i mean i just i can't imagine going back and covering college sports unless it was basketball or the NFL. I, I'm spoiled by the access. I'm spoiled by the day-to-day, and I like writing the day-to-day work more than I do just like standing there and listening to somebody on a podium all the time. It's interesting because I always say that there are symptoms of winning franchises, that, that the winning franchises do a lot of things nobody ever sees, and they do them well. And it's just symptomatic that they have their act together. Did, do you see changes in that way from how the Mariners sort of conducted themselves back when they were really bad versus maybe now when they're having success? Uh, maybe a little bit. I mean, obviously the regimes change in terms of like GMs and stuff like that. Uh, but like, honestly, when you're the Mariners and you're really bad, you're looking for coverage and you're looking for content about you to try and drum up the interest when you know you're going to be bad. I do think like this group of this, this leadership with like, Jerry DePoto and Scott Service, you know, they're pretty transparent and they're usually available. Like I can, you know, call them or text them. I try not to wear them out, but, you know, they're going to get back to me 
more often than not, and they're always available. So I think that part has been good. But, I, you know, we'll see if they retract a little bit. You know, even, like, we didn't notice, like, it's been harder to grab Julio Rodriguez now in the postseason than it was during the regular season, and maybe that's just personal preference. But, you know, certain things like that. Um, you know, the the more you win, the more people want to get their fingers on it or get around it, and that sometimes you have to pull it back. But the Mariners – universally around baseball are considered to be one of the best like PR staffs in terms of getting players and having players kind of trained to understand how to interact with us. Like they, they do training to make sure that these guys interact. And there's also the culture of baseball. Like in the past when they've had guys like Kyle Seeger or Nelson Cruz, even Felix Hernandez, those guys were always available. They always talked. They had an understanding of what it meant to be the, the best player. And if your best player, if your best players and your highest paid players on the team are available and they talk to the media, you can't be the 26th guy and be a jerk. That's just not how it works. Ryan Divish, Seattle Times. All right, how how you feeling about the game two starting pitching matchup? Uh, you know, with Mariners and Astros. I mean, like, so Luis Castillo is their best pitcher, and they signed, they traded for him, they signed him to extension for this moment, and was the same. He was outstanding in Toronto. I don't know that he can do the same against the Astros. I mean, the Toronto has a great lineup too, but the Astros have enough left-handed hitting to cause them problems. But this is a huge start. I mean, they need him to be really good because their bullpen's wiped a little bit. And because, like, yeah, he's got to stop the bleeding, change the momentum, change the thinking around this team because right now it's it's pretty negative. I don't think with the players, but just, you know, you can feel a negativity around it. So it's really important that he pitches well. The Astros are going with Framber Valdez, who throws a ton of curveballs. The Mariners are kind of like Pedro Serrano in Major League. They don't like the bendy pitches very much. <laughs> So I don't know if they're going to sacrifice a lot of chicken. I don't know what they're going to do, but they're, you know, I had a scout tell me that if the Mariners pitchers face the Mariners hitters, it would be a zero zero game for eternity because the Mariners throw nothing but sliders and they can't hit them. So. I love it. My bat very, very afraid of the breaking ball. Uh, give us an idea. Is it Haver, Montana? Is that where you grew up? Uh, Haver. Yeah, Haver, Haver, Montana. Give yeah, me an idea. Where? What? How many stop signs do you have? You know, do you have a movie theater there? What? Give me what oh, is? Yeah, I mean it's six thousand, or it's about six to seven thousand people. When I was growing up, there was maybe ten. You know, it's a major stop on the uh, on the railroad line, yeah. so Burlington Northern, and then even Amtrak has to stop there. So, you know, it's it's twenty two miles from the Canadian border, and I spend my off seasons there, and it's thirty five forty below with the wind chill at times. But you know, it's kind of crazy. Like I kid from Haver, Montana, being here and doing all this stuff, never would have imagined it. But, yeah, it's it's small-town Montana, that's for certain. You know, we have McDonald's and we have all that, but I can get across town in five minutes. And from my parents' house, from my parents' house, I can walk out, pass down the block, and be in a field where there isn't a house or a person for miles. You know, I take my parents' black lab out there and just walk and i enjoy the silence of it all you know after living in the city or commuting all the time when i get home that's one of the things i do is just kind of isolate for a while fantastic man and the haver daily news that's the paper there right did you read that growing up yeah i worked there that was my first job out of college uh, i was a sports editor i took photos and somebody wrote my buddy who's now the publisher he was i hired him to be the to be the part-time sports writer, he's now the publisher of that paper, which is crazy. <laughs> he it. wrote something about he wrote something about me the other day. I was like, "Hey, you can't be writing about me if I don't get permission." But yeah, that's not how it works. 
That's he right. Goes, he said something like, the Mariners don't give you permission to write about them. I said, I don't want to talk about it. So, public, you're a public I mean, figure. Ryan Divis, you're a public yeah. figure now. All right. That's terrifying. Hey, I appreciate you. I, you always make time for us. I know you're busy. Uh, keep kicking butt. And uh, for people listening, follow him on Twitter, at Ryan Divish. Read him in the Seattle Times. Game two of that series ahead. Ryan, take care, man. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. There he is. The pride of Haver, Montana. Love that. Um, look, I uh, I debated when, when the Mariners made the playoffs. I was like, all right, I need to write about the Mariners without writing about the Mariners. Like, I'm not there covering that team on a daily basis. Nobody wants to read me writing about the starting pitching or, you know, the batting lineup or, you know, service or but Ryan Divish is one of the people that I thought about writing about because he's been there. He has covered this team thick and thin and mostly thin and done a hell of a job doing it. He's a great read. He goes beyond the box score. That's why I like reading him and I like bringing him on. He always gives us time. Our big splash is coming up. Leave it here. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. I uh, wrote about one of my daughters this morning uh, in part at johnconzano.com. I also wrote about Kevin Warren, the Big Ten Conference Commissioner. He gave an interview at uh, the Big Ten Basketball Media Day that really caught my attention. And he sounds like he is backing off the idea that the Big Ten Conference is going to imminently expand or we're not done yet or all that stuff that was said in the wake of USC and UCLA as he was doing his victory tour. Kevin Warren is pumping the brakes a little bit. He said he's not pausing, but he kind of sounds like he is pausing. I wrote about it at johnconzano.com. You can read it if you'd like. Grab a free subscription or a paid subscription, whatever works for you. I also wrote about Arizona State. They had this Skycam that they introduced on Saturday. Now, Skycam's not unusual. We see it at NFL games, see it at a lot of big college football games. It's that camera that is on the cables that's hovering over the quarterback, behind the quarterback during play usually. Um, the the people at Skycam were at the Arizona State-Washington game that was on the Pac-12 networks over the weekend. And I found out that the Pac-12 did not hire them. So I was like, why is that Skycam in the stadium if the Pac-12 didn't hire them? Well, it turns out that Arizona State hired them. Arizona State was doing a, an experiment. They were conducting an experiment where they wanted to let the Skycam people show them all the 3D graphics and all those cool graphics you see on Thursday Night Football with Amazon on the field, the 3D graphics on NFL games. Arizona State is experimenting with it. I was told by a source at Arizona State that it was a wild success, and I have a feeling they're going to use it to try to sell sponsorships to potential sponsors who are uh, going to be part of their advertising package for the Pac-12 Network games. Keep an eye on it. Again, Arizona State paid for it. It's really confusing to me. Like, why is Arizona State paying for that, not the Pac-12 Network? But I think Arizona State's going to try to use it to uh, maximize some sponsorship opportunities. I I was told by a source at Arizona State that it was a smashing success. Uh, also, I wrote today about uh, my daughter. My oldest daughter is turning 20 today, or I guess she did turn 20 today. Um, it's a surreal feeling to have a 20-year-old kid. 
but uh, and also to have young kids where we had parent-teacher conferences earlier this morning as well. So I'm on the full spectrum of things. But i got to say this about my oldest daughter, who I do not worry about. Like, she is the most mature, kindest person that I know. She's nicer than me. She's more patient than me. She's smarter than me. Uh, I'm not worried about that kid. But it's just amazing to see. Uh, I When I look at her, she's 20. But I also see her at 6, her at 8, her at 12. And if you've had a kid grow up on you, you know what I'm talking about. All right. Punch It Audio is coming up. Also, Jonathan Smith, Oregon State football coach, still ahead. Leave it right here. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face hey, Sorry Truth. to interrupt the podcast, but if you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.